0: to the Waikato, um, mm-hmm. so um, Ngāti Nāho at Rangariri, um, and then uh, out to the coast, Ngāti Mania at at Aotea, um, and then also um, further back in our whakapapa mm-hmm. to Tauranga Moana, so um, cool. to Mātupiki out that way, which is really cool. So have, um it's so my mum's side, mm-hmm. my Māori whakapapa, which I'm learning about, exploring further, delving into, um, slowly kind of drawing back I guess into my front of mind and front of being um, part of who I am and then um, on my, my dad's side we're, we're would probably be a really good way to describe it um, so yeah um, walking in both worlds yeah, um, and becoming more confident um, in my kind of um, indigenous connections which is a big part I guess of how I practice and how I see the world now which is
1: cool yeah and what is your practice what do you do
0: so I I have um I've studied in interior architecture so I've been really interested in space um and kind of spatial um interactions between the human body um and so I initially started um, with an interest in furniture and, and, um, and in interi- interior architecture, mm-hmm. um, so I sort of did an interior architecture degree and and found very bound, felt very bound by this kind of concept of a of a position that um, we were inside as opposed to outside, um, and finished my degree kind of stubbornly because I needed to finish things and then immediately um, transferred across into a landscape architecture space which felt. Mm-hmm like it kind of better reflected the way I saw the world. That yeah. was less about um, kind of firm edges mm-hmm. and more about kind of transitions right. um, of space. And so I'm a landscape architect mm-hmm. um, and I practised briefly before having children, which is the classic kind of interruption to a woman's professional life, <laughs> um, and, um, and kind of worked in a, in a private practice capacity with my own uh, practice alongside my husband for a while, while raising children, Mm -hmm. Um, but had always been really interested in teaching. And so um, I had been um, teaching across both the architecture and landscape architecture programs, um, both during my study and then after my study uh, at Victoria University and really missed that when we moved back um, to Tamaki to have kids, to settle down. and so, once the kids kind of were more independent, I went back into a teaching opportunity and um, started teaching into the landscape program at UniTech, um, which was great for me because it was an opportunity to kind of build relationships with um, the kind of landscape architecture community in Auckland, mm. which I which I didn't have as a result of having studied um, in Wellington. So yeah. that was really cool and. I realised pretty quickly that teaching was the thing that I loved yeah, teaching awesome. yeah. was um, an opportunity for me to be continuously inspired by new people mm. engaging mm. Um, in this in this um, practice um, or this way of seeing the world or this way of responding to the challenges of um, kind of how humans um, interact with their environment and so I kind of I don't know about feed off, but I, I feel really nourished yeah. by the opportunity to kind of be engaging with, with students. And so um, left practice world behind and kind of focused full time on, on practice. And then obviously a big part of um, you know teaching practice is that you know research and constant learning and investigation and exploration is a big part of that. And so kind of really leaning into um, that, kind of following my research interests and kind of climate... Um, climate changing spaces, right. because um, that's not a future reality, it's a mm-hmm. current, a very current and, and very real kind of changing reality now, um, but also that interaction with, um, you know, our indigenous knowledges, mm-hmm. my my developing and growing understanding of my worldview mm-hmm. um, as it connects to um, a kind of a Tao worldview and starting mm-hmm. to understand um, the things that are they grounded in, in, in how I see the world and recognising them in um, the way Māori see the world and starting to see myself as, mm. as Māori in a, in a stronger and kind of more confident way, so teaching has been great for me in that space because yeah. I can explore those things in a way that um, doesn't require me to be the expert yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but allows me to learn alongside, yeah. learn with, learn one step ahead of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that's been yeah really kind of yeah, nourishing.
1: Yeah, cool. How does your um, developing understanding of te ao Māori um, influence your, or channel through your teaching style? Yeah.
0: Um, that's a question you should ask my students <laughs> um, I think there's a couple of kind of key things for me um, one is that I'm really careful and very intentional about creating my teaching spaces as safe spaces mm-hmm. for our students both to iwi, mm-hmm. uh and Māori to learn safely mm-hmm. to to make mistakes and be able to be constructively and safely kind of corrected or set on an appropriate path, Um, to be given uh, many starting points, Mm -hmm. to be asked um, the complicated questions without them being required to have a set or confirmed Mm -hmm. answer, Um, and to kind of build a foundation for them to continue to explore and to continue to grow. Um, so that we don't have which is something that I've kind of recognised in, in, in many of the institutional environments I've worked in we, we don't have um, a sense of this idea of engaging with Teo as being scary or mm-hmm. not for me um, but rather that it is something that we share mm-hmm. something that is possible for everyone to engage in mm-hmm. and that we have Varying levels of ways In which we will engage with that over mm-hmm. time um, For many it's about You know allyship
1: yeah.
0: It's about um, being uh, Engaged and responsible as tauiwi As tangateteriti As, a, as um, Kind of good partners mm. um, And and Kind of playing an, an important Like really important role As the other side of that conversation yeah. Between mm-hmm. Māori and non-Māori Because yeah in many, many cases I've found um, as Māori, you, you often feel like you're in an echo chamber when you talk about the things that, that aren't working yet. Mm. And um, and then like the other side of that is is also that many of our students, like myself when I was studying, are Māori, feel very strongly grounded in that, feel the incredible privilege of that kind of um, it, you know, intrinsic Kind of completely embodied connection to this place, but also don't feel confident in in walking in their Māori mm. tanga because for whatever kind of generational reasons that's been lost mm. to their family, and they may have they may have generational disconnection from that. They may not be able to go and sit at the knees of their nannies mm. um, and and kind of redraw that connection that's been lost. Um, and, so, and many of them will will look Māori mm. as well and be looked to by mm. non-Māori to be experts already. And um, I feel personally, from my personal experiences, it's a really scary space to be. And as a as a Māori student in university, I never put down in my uh, applications or any of my enrolment that I was Māori because I did not want to be Drawn on mm-hmm. for that knowledge because I didn't have that knowledge to, mm. to share, um, and so I, <laughs> I I am I am quite staunch in my protection of my students. Um, I'm not just my Māori students actually; it's uh, students across our kind of Māori Kiwa kind of diaspora. Just making sure wherever um, I feel it's necessary to just kind of really reinforce the fact that they will come into this. Yeah role of leadership or they will come into this role of sharing or um, kind of forefronting what they know when they're ready Mm. and we have to create those safe spaces Mm. for them, it's super, super important so yeah, that's kind of how my my teaching spaces are created Um, and then it's just about sharing that knowledge, normalising that way of thinking. Mm helping the students to understand the connections with other Indigenous knowledges, with other um, kind of cultural understandings of the world so that they can start to see parallels, Mm. relational elements. They can start to bring themselves into that understanding. So when we talk about what does a relational worldview look like, well, it talks about, you know, not being able to disconnect ourselves from the earth. And, you know think about the different things that you feel connected to like that mm. or when we think about um you know our pacific tuakana and the, the strong kind of spiritual connections that they have you know how does that translate across into other kind of cultural connections with sense of spirituality um and a sense of kind of relationality and then mm. if we can foreground that then we can have the bigger conversations mm. about you know an indigenous worldview because everyone's found their touch point yeah. to engage in that conversation um so yeah, it's just, you know, and one are those kind of core principles like, when we think about how water connects everything, yeah, that's actually a universal concept. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, we, 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 we rely on water to survive and there's, you know, spirituality in water, there is a sense of life in water, we value water highly, mm-hmm. and then you reposition that within a te ao Māori kind mm-hmm. of understanding of water and you get more light bulbs mm-hmm. from your students mm-hmm. when you do that. So it's not necessarily about teaching things Māori Mm. but rather teaching a world view Mm. that allows them to understand um, so that they can understand. It's kind of those the key things for me are you want them to ask the questions, am I the right person Mm. to be doing this? If not, who is? And am I the right person to support that? Mm. And then If they're asking those questions, then you know that they're looking very carefully at the places that they're walking in. And it might be that they are the right person, but they need to partner with this person. Or it might be that this situation requires some objectivity, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but it might not be a leadership position. Mm -hmm. And it might, it's it's not a doing to, it's a doing with. Mm -hmm. And so if you start to change that language, I teach often in first year predominantly, so we're building those platforms of putting themselves back into a position where their responsibility as designers is to to awhi, to to mm-hmm. kind of to total to to support what is already inherent in a place mm-hmm. and then use those skills to kind of draw out the potential that exists there as well, and that's whether you're Māori or non-Māori, yeah. whether you are indigenous or not Yeah, you know, we all have a role in that kind of space
1: mm. So it sounds as though you're, you 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 have to think really critically about these spaces, mm. and then get your students to think really critically about them too and their own positionality Absolutely. within this context yeah. um, and um, I guess in regards to how you're um, you pr- protect your students I hope they value you for of your <laughs> reason. Um, I certainly would if you were my teacher, it's really important but it also sounds like you um, pre- like to protect knowledge as well, mm. knowledge systems particularly indigenous knowledge um, and I guess you can draw similar parallels from the student experience in what feels right to share and what doesn't, Yeah. but we can bring that in back into the um, the <laughs> nature-based urban design so- solutions context as yeah. well, and yeah. indigenous knowledge is being implemented into these solutions and where you kind of draw the line as to what's okay and what's not. Mm. Do you have any kind of opinions that, or perspectives that you'd like to share on that topic in that yeah. area? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think we have a huge responsibility as, as design professionals mm. um, because um, in, in, in every instance where we're involving in, or engaging in, in our natural environment, mm. in, in Te Taiau or um, you know, with Whenua or with Moana, um, we have to acknowledge the whakapapa connections that they have to our indigenous peoples mm. of that place. Mm. Um, and, and we have to do that with an integrity that acknowledges that relationship as being theirs mm. and not ours, um, and I think that um, with when we think about nature-based kind of solutions as this um, kind of, like it's, a, it's like a package, yeah. a kind of a curated kind of output, rather than an expression of a connection to place that is so inherent in a way of knowing and being and doing, mm. that it doesn't have a name. Necessarily. Well, it might have a name within an indigenous language, but that name doesn't belong to the nature-based kind of outcome. Um, And so as as designers, as experts potentially in this space, we have to to acknowledge that the core of that Mm. um, doesn't belong to us, basically. Um, and 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 that we have a responsibility as allies, as partners, but we actually have an even greater responsibility as kind of kaitiaki or stewards of that knowledge. Mm. Um, and we have to accept that that knowledge might be offered to us with, you know, an incredible generosity. Mm. But we 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 hold and support that knowledge in the work that we're doing, but we don't then take that knowledge away it stays Mm -hmm. with the people with the Mm place-based response um that 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 knowledge isn't an ownership thing we don't we can't transfer knowledge like a resource as we consider it in a kind of a western context where it can be um bought or sold or ring fenced or um Kind of replicated. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the incredible qualities of engaging in, in indigenous knowledge is the place based nature of it, um, and um, you know what works in that moment cannot necessarily be transferred to the next place, mm-hmm. but that can start the conversation for the next place, mm-hmm. um, and so again it comes down to that you know like who's in the room, who's having the conversation. Um, is, is Am I speaking on behalf of someone, or am I speaking with someone? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something, it's that kind of constantly just checking, yeah. just checking back and making sure that you're engaging with this in integrity, um, and that you're, you're holding your responsibility to the relationships yeah. that you build with each indigenous community as you work yeah. with them, um, and that you can take your learning
1: yeah.
0: with you your learning with you, um, but you're not taking their knowledge with you in the same way. You're taking your learning from that knowledge, and that's that's different. It's not your right then to then take that knowledge and give it to someone yeah. else. Um, and so, we, I mean, we talk very carefully with our students about, you know, how do we attribute what we have, what we've mm. gathered? You know, it's a, an incredible sign of respect to to go to someone. You know, whether you're doing that. Um, in a kind of a traditional kind of academic way where you're reading your sources,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you take that knowledge it's an incredible sign of respect right because you're you're acknowledging that there's incredible value yeah. in that piece of information and it contributes to the work that you're doing yeah. but you cannot do that unless you attribute where mm-hmm. it's come from, unless you share the whakapapa of that knowledge mm-hmm. and then as we build our kind of academic library of things that reinforce our evidence the papa of that then yeah. lives in the, bu- the moment that it touches the ground again mm. um, and that's really important as well
1: Yeah, I mean the academic world is super guilty of the Absolutely. exploitation yeah. of yeah. knowledge, right? Um, and I would know that uh, like Linda tuhi Smith, for mm-hmm. example offers really like in-depth useful um, articles and writings on Kopapa Māori led research. Mm. But this is interesting because Nu'ao is dealing with the wider Pacific. Absolutely. And more than just one indigenous group of people. Mm. Um, Have you, I mean, I know you're new to Nu'ao, but. Very new. (laughs) Very new. (laughs) But have you um, been able to observe the ways in which Nu'ao has embraced, like, a, a safer way of this? absorption of knowledge and then the transfer and protection of it
0: Hmm.
1: that's a really
0: interesting question i i I don't feel like i've been around long enough probably to to make a kind of a firm statement in that space but i think one of the things i have um experienced in my current involvement with um with noel is that that the the researchers and teams that that are part of the wider Nual family mm. um, and, and typically who are working with the indigenous communities across the Pacific mm. are predominantly of those indigenous communities mm. Mm. Um, and that the, the approach to research is participatory yeah. um, and, and predominantly co-designed, yeah. um, which, is, which is great. Um, that being said, uh, there are also, um, and and this is another really important part. I think also of the research is that there are um, governmental um, and even you know non-governmental you know, NGO organisations that are also working in the Pacific, and they're a really important part actually of that broader kind mm-hmm. of knowledge ecosystem, um, because we know that research and and, and fieldwork and engagement and, and attributing real value to the knowledges and the time and the capacity building um, for meaningful kind of nature-based responses to the kind of impacts of, of, um, of climate-related change in the Pacific, it costs money. Yeah. And it's these bigger organizations that can attract that funding, that manage that funding, um, and so that partnership is, is, is really important. Um, and as a Nual team, we don't always have insight into what those relationships look like. And so there's kind of, I guess, that's where the, the, the conversation becomes more murky. But I think that um, the, the kind of the foundation of Nual with this idea of, of putting indigenous knowledge at the center mm-hmm. of these nature-based solutions means that we have to act with integrity. Yeah when it comes to indigenous knowledge mm-hmm. and we have to be really careful and intentional about the way that we frame what that means mm-hmm. um, because if, if, if we're the lens through which people see what's happening mm-hmm. then we have a responsibility to do that well mm-hmm. uh, to do that properly to, to 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 be good stewards good good kaitiaki of that knowledge um, and actually more importantly not of the knowledge but actually of the people who hold it and yeah. um, and because because it is it is their voice that needs mm-hmm. to be shared not ours on their behalf mm. even if we are the amplifier yeah out into the, the kind of the broader global
1: community yeah it's really funny because I'm just thinking about this podcast series why right, and like it's providing a platform like where we've been speaking to mm. people mm. and they've been sharing some really like interesting personal. amazing personal yeah. sacred knowledge with us yes um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I'm, you know, thinking more critically about this actual series and you know yeah. what's happening with with it and how we put it out there too. But yeah,
0: I think that's one of the wonderful things about Indigenous communities.
1: Mm.
0: And I don't like to generalize too much, but there's a incredible generosity with yes. the sharing, yeah. incredible openness mm. of the sharing. Mm. Um, and an, and an immense trust that mm. is placed in everyone that they share with, mm. um, and so in, in in that in doing that, the responsibility then becomes of the receiver yes. to act with integrity in terms of how they then, mm. you know, respond to that and you know engage with it in, in their own practice or their own kind of world and things like that. I think. Mm. Um, that's one of the things we need to always remember and yeah. it's something that I think that you know, as researchers that's kind of front of mind for many of us who kind of walk in those two worlds yeah. is it's that kind of um, how do I do this, how do I carry yeah. this yeah. Um, how do I hold this responsibility, how do I how do I do this with integrity that reflects mm-hmm. both on, on uh, my relationship with this person mm-hmm. because from an indigenous perspective it's the relationships that mm-hmm. are kind of critically important mm-hmm. um, and they are elastic to an extent mm-hmm. but there is a breaking point um, and it tends to be on integrity grounds that, that those relationships can be tested to the point of breaking. Um, but you know if you want to, to if you want to work long term, if you want to build trust, if you want to build meaningful engagement, if you want to build meaningful li- lifelong or um, you know kind of intergenerational change, through design mm-hmm. you have to invest in those relationships and to invest in those relationships means you have to value what gets yeah. shared within those relationships and take responsibility for what's shared with you, mm-hmm. how it's shared mm-hmm. and, um, and also take then responsibility about what's on shared because you can get into a game of, you know, of, of whispers where the, the twisting of the story happens the further it gets away from the source yeah. yes. and you don't want to be that first person mm-hmm. Because that's a huge, re- you know, it's a responsibility for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that we always need to keep front.